two weeks in a row. That's, uh, and it's good to see you here. Before I saw it, uh, someone, uh, I won't mention his name, someone sent a picture of the sign up out front there, and uh, uh, I, I want you to know, and I've often said I couldn't be more proud of a church. Uh, I'm so proud to be your pastor. I'm so proud of you folks and your love for the Lord and your faithfulness, and uh, I wish I could especially in the light of last week. I wish I could really explain, you know, everything that's going on in my heart. I told someone last week, I said, I wish I could preach every day. And, and I don't say that because, man, I just like to preach. I say that because there's so much to be said and so much that I, I, I want to say that I, I wish I could do what I used to back, back whenever I was in Kentucky and preaching three times a day for three years solid and I, I can't do that anymore. I can't even preach every night anymore, but if I could, I would. And uh, the good thing is I know God's in control. It's easy for me to get impatient, you know, and I want, <laughs> I want a miraculous healing where I'm back on my feet and better than ever before, so I, I'm learning to take it one day at a time, and I, I know that he'll let me do what uh, I ought to do and when I ought to do it, and so... You just keep praying that I'll uh, be patient. Uh, open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. I, the text this morning, the context I should say, is probably much longer than what I generally use. I tried to talk to the Lord about that, and he said, no, I want it all. <laughs> and I said, Lord, that's going to take more time. And he said, they'll wait. And then I said, Lord, how about me? How about I let Brother Kenneth read those verses and then I'll preach? He said, No, I want you to read it. Now, I'm not hearing voices from heaven, but I mean, this is, uh, this is the way it appeared to me because God wouldn't cut me any slack. And, I, and then I said, Lord, I'm more short of breath than I normally am. He said, I don't care. I want you to read it anyway. So, Luke chapter 7, and we're going to begin in verse 36 and read. The rest of the chapter. And one of the Pharisees desired him, that's Christ, that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And began to wash his feet with tears. And did wipe them with the hairs of her head. And kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. But when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it. He spake within himself saying. This man if he were a prophet would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. Let me interject. I'll bet he regretted that later. <laughs> and so the Lord says, there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. 
And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? And Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loveth much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Go in peace. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Go in peace. Here's a woman that was so troubled, so burdened down, so hated and despised by the community. Have you ever wondered why some people, you know, have an obvious, intense, fervent love for the Lord while there are others that, that don't, that just, they just don't? Well, this story gives us the answer. It's the story of three characters. There's the Pharisee, there's the prostitute, and there's the prophet. And to see the context of this, we've got to look at the entire chapter. And if we read the entire chapter, we would discover it's all about whether or not Jesus was a true prophet of God. That's the big question, and that's what this is all about. And that makes it important. But what I just read here proves that Jesus is who he claimed to be, contrary to what they believed. But more than that, we are given an account of something in this story here, something that happens that deals with what our attitude ought to be. So let's look at this story, and I want you to consider the three central characters. First of all, there's the Pharisee. And his name is given. In fact, it's Simon. That was a very common name in that day. And he's a Pharisee. And of course, as you probably know, the Pharisees were, were thought of as really good, decent, very religious people. I mean, they tried to keep the law. They, uh, they, they tithed. They fasted. They prayed at least three times a day. They attended every service at the synagogue. They wouldn't think about missing that. And they were highly respected by most people in the community, but they did not recognize Jesus to be a prophet from God. They certainly did not think of him as being the Messiah that God had sent. And because of that, they did their dead level best to find fault with him, to make false accusations against him, to criticize him over anything they could think of. 
And uh, him being invited into this this Pharisee's home to, is, is shocking to me, and I can imagine there was only one reason, and that was to question Jesus so they could find fault with him. Now remember, as good as the Pharisees appeared, remember Jesus said, except your righteousness exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. So you better have something better than what they had. And believe me, what they had, what appeared, that is what was obvious to everyone else, that regardless of what these people believed, they were dead level serious about their beliefs. They greatly erred in that they were teaching the traditions of men for the doctrines of God. They didn't understand that, but you better believe they were sincere about it. They didn't mind praying in public. They didn't mind demonstrating their religious beliefs to the world around them. They were radical, fanatical in every sense of the word. So there's a lesson in this for us. As wrong as they were, as respected as they were, it was not enough to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, let's look at the other character in the story, and that's the prostitute. Now, if you read through this again, you'll notice that nowhere does it call her a prostitute. But she sure described that way, right? And by the way, this story here is different than the story of Mary of Bethany. This is not the same story at all. So here she is, a woman of the streets, a woman no doubt known to everyone, a woman that nobody wanted anything to do with, basically. And can you imagine the shock that must have been on everybody's face when they looked around at all of the people there at the feast and look around and see her over there? It shocked everybody except Jesus. Jesus is the one who called attention to her. And Simon's probably wondering, how in the world did she get in here? Who let her in? Well, how did she get there? What was it that brought her to this place? Well, I suspect that she had either heard or she had heard of Jesus. She might have heard the saying, the quotation of when Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I didn't come to call the righteous. Those that are self-righteous to think they've got their act all together, to think they don't need me. I didn't come to call them to repentance. I come to call those that acknowledge the fact that they are sinners. And that woman, boy, when she heard that, she probably said, I got to go there. When any question in her mind about whether she was a sinner or not, she knew that she was. And no doubt she had heard from others about the other things Jesus had said and the things that she did. And uh, so probably maybe she heard about the other sinful woman that recorded over in the book of John, that, that woman who was taken in the very act of adultery. And she got to thinking, you know, if he was so kind with her, maybe he'll look favorably upon me. But notice what the woman did here. She washed his feet with her tears. She wiped them with the hairs of her head. And let me tell you, that was a big deal. 
because a woman's hair, especially in that day, I mean, that, that was something that was special to her. And to just let her hair down in public and to do this was a big deal. But in verse 44, it says she wiped them with the hairs of her head. Verse 45 says, and it says that she ceased not to kiss his feet. And then verse 46, she anointed his head with oil and his feet with ointment. Everything she did, no doubt, was shocking to everybody there except Jesus. And he pointed out that she's the only one that did any of these things. So here's the question. Which of these two attitudes best describes your relationship with Christ? Now, don't, I'm not calling you a Pharisee. I know we don't have any Pharisees here today. I understand that. But you've got to admit that sometimes we Christians have a pharisaical attitude in life. Whether we want to admit that or not, it happens. And by that, I mean that we get cold, we get indifferent, we get unexpressive of, of, of love toward others and toward God. And we get to thinking you know, more about who we are and what we do than the goodness and the greatness of God. You see, that's where the Pharisees were all hung up. It was all about what they did. Look at me. Look what I'm doing. It was the outward appearance. And I got news for you. God doesn't look on the outward appearance. He looks on the heart. So we have character number one is the Pharisee. Character number two is the prostitute. Thank God there's somebody else there. The third character in the story is the prophet. And you know who that is. And I want you to notice that, that uh, Jesus knew what Simon was thinking. Simon didn't say that out loud. He, I, probably, probably there in the circumstances, he didn't have the guts to do that. But Jesus knew what he was thinking. Look at verse 39 again. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him he had given him an invitation. When he saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. Now notice, as soon as Simon said, say on, I want you to notice what Jesus does. He tells the story about the two debtors. And I've already read it. And if you was listening, you know what it is, right? That was already a part of a, the reading in the beginning. The two debtors. One owed an enormous sum of money. One owed hardly any money. And it's designed here to show us why some people love the Lord more than others. And so... He says, notice, whenever he bears down on Simon, okay, Simon, who loved, who, who loved most? And he said, verse 43, I suppose, <laughs> I wonder why he put that in there. He could have just given a flat dab answer, but he didn't do that. He said, I suppose, he won't leave room for case he's wrong. I suppose he to whom he forgave most. 
And Jesus said, Thou hast rightly judged. Now you see, according to this parable, if we had time to really study it, in this parable we see the, that the degree to which we love Jesus is based on three things. The degree to which we love Jesus is based on three things. The first one has to do with iniquity. It is recognizing ourselves as being a sinner in the sight of God. Now, I understand that, that the way God looks at it is not always the way that we look at it. I understand that. This woman appeared to be the greatest sinner in the sight of man. If you had taken a vote, she would have lost the election. She appeared to be the greatest sinner, but it wasn't that way in the eyes of God. And you know why? It was because she knew who she was, a sinner. And the Pharisee had no idea. She loved him more. Why? Because she understood how sinful she was. The second way, the second way in which we were able to love the Lord Jesus Christ, not only the matter of iniquity, but inability to pay what you owe. Now, I want you to know, said neither had anything to pay. Didn't, didn't make any difference. Over the years, I've heard many times people giving testimonies. And it would have been better off, really, if they hadn't said anything. Early on, I've probably been guilty of this very thing. And that is going into too much detail about how bad I was before I was saved. Some way or another, we get it in our mind that we need to elaborate on all of the sinful things. When I was preaching a revival meeting one time, and I was preaching about the matter of adultery, and I, I made the statement, I, I don't guess, you know, I, I'm sure nobody, no, nobody here has been guilty of adultery this week. And one fellow stood up in the back and said, yes, I have. I never had that happen before. But you see so many times, so many times we don't see ourselves as we really are. And when, when it, you get right down to it, regardless of how good you think you are, regardless of how good you might be, the fact of the matter is the natural man has nothing to pay. You look around and you'll say, well, I'll tell you, I'm not a Christian, but I'll tell you one thing. I'm not a drunk. I'm not a doper. I'm not an adulteress. I don't do any of those things. I'm better than those things. You're going to go die and go to the devil's hell just like Hitler and everybody else that rejected Christ. It's not a matter of how much you can pay. You don't have enough to pay your sin debt. But then there's the matter of insight. And that is insight as to God's grace to forgive. And, and, and here it just says he, he freely gave both of them. They didn't have anything to pay. You know what that is? It's called grace. It's grace. And in this parable, it all tells us here that the more we appreciate God's grace, the more we will love him. Now, if you're thinking, well, I'm about through, you're wrong. You might be thinking, but preacher, we got some stuff after the service. I don't care. I, you're wrong. I'm just now getting to my point. Look at verse 45, and here's the point. I want you to notice the phrase, what Jesus said to Simon. 
Thou gavest me no kiss. I mean, look, hospitality in that day would have required that much. Hospitality in that day would have required him to call the servants to come and wash this man's feet. He's been traveling, make him comfortable here in, our, in, our, in my home. There was none of that. And that gets to the very heart of what I was talking about last Jesus, last week. Many years ago, I enjoyed reading the books of a fellow by the name of Leonard Ravenhill. Leonard Ravenhill was a revivalist. He traveled the world over preaching revival meetings. He wrote several books, and so every time, every time he came out with a new book, I, uh, if I had the money, I, I would buy it. He was doing on a much larger scale what I was doing. I, I was traveling all over, the, all over the country preaching one revival after another and hardly ever home. And whenever I was home, I was preaching at churches in the Cincinnati area and uh, doing all of that. And, and I, I, you know, back then, I, I wanted to learn all I could and read all I could. And Leonard Ravenhill was blunt and to the point, and he said a lot of things that need to be said today. But of all of the things that I ever read by that man, the one I love most is what I'm about to read. This quote, here's what he said. Now bear with me. It's a little longer than usual. Here's what he said. We think that if we read a lot of books about the deeper life, boy, I could talk a lot about that. The Keswick Convention over in England, a lot of people have really gotten mixed up. And he said, if we think we can read all of the books about the deeper life, as good as they are, As good as they are, they will not, not make us a saint. He said, I've got news for you. Even reading the Bible won't make you a saint. You've got to get it in your bloodstream. I believe I could line the altar. Indeed, I've seen the altar line with hundreds night after night in mass meetings. And yet, I believe at the end of the day, Jesus Christ could say to me, Thou gavest me no kiss. Because I was so busy serving him, this is what really got my attention because it's like he'd been reading my mail. Because I was so busy serving him, I forgot to worship him. The priority that God wants in our life is that we worship him in spirit. You can say, I guess I give out more tracts than anybody around here. I labor harder than anybody else. And miss the bus. Friend, I've been around the world a few times and it, it doesn't give me any standing with God. I happen to write a bestseller or two and it doesn't give me, me any prestige with God. God seeks those that worship Him. And I say again, I like what Wesley said. Let me kiss thy bleeding feet and bathe and wash them with my tears. And then he said, when did you last 
seize him by the feet and say, Master, I can't go another inch without meeting you like this in the morning. I wish I had time to tell you more of what he said, but the strange thing about all of this is I'd read all of those books and I never ever remember reading that until two, three days ago after what God allowed me to go through there in the hospital. After what I experienced. How how did I miss that? I'll tell you how I missed it. Because I saw no application to it back then. But as I read this a few days ago, I thought, Lord, he he is describing exactly what I've just gone through. And what I'm going through and what I have experienced in my life. Let me read a short quote from, everybody's heard of A.W. Tozer probably. And A.W. Tozer had made a statement to, to Raven Hill. He was in his 60s, by the way, Tozer was. And he said, you know, he said, see, there were times when when he lay on the floor for as much as four hours without ever uttering a word of prayer or praise. Well, you say, well, what was he doing? Here it is in his own words. I'm lost in adoration. I see him in his glory, in his majesty, in his beauty. I can hear those holy beings crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. I'm silent in adoration before him. I had no language. It is beggared. I know some of you might be thinking, yeah, he's probably lost his mind. And let me tell you, that's part of our problem today. Because we've come to accept the average as being normal. And it isn't. There's a world of difference between being average and normal. The normal Christian is not the average Christian. And I don't say that judgmentally. I say it based not just on what I see, but by their own admission and all of the surveys that are taken. And all, as they answer all of these questions and professing Christians, when it's all said and done, There's almost no difference between the way the average Christian lives and the way the world lives. Almost none. That's the average, though. The normal Christian is not at all like that. You know, God desires, God demands, and God deserves an intimate relationship with Him. Seven days a week, not just on Sunday. I've often said that whatever happens here on Sunday is is the result of what's been happening all week long. We can't live one way out there and come in here on Sunday and do anything. Brother Preston nor I have a sermon good enough to accomplish that. The music program will never be good enough to accomplish that. It's what you and I do all week long that's going to determine what happens here in this service. And if we're going to worship God in spirit and in truth like God demands, if we're going to do that on Sunday, we've got to meet with Him before we ever get to church. And let me tell you right now, as I said before, no amount of work 
for God can ever take the place of worship of God. You get up on Sunday morning, you put on your Sunday morning best, you go off to church, you put a smile on your face, you greet the saints, you sing with gusto, you give your tithe, you might even take part in one of the ministries here. You can do all of that and still not worship God. Worship is a lot more than that. In light of that, let me ask you, where are the kisses? Where are the kisses? Those expressions. Not here. Some people get all worried. They're, they're afraid because I'm dealing with this and talking about how we ought to be more excited, more enthusiastic, that I'm wanting to get everybody to be a radical rebel rouser in the service and tip the chairs over and run down the aisle. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that seven days a week there ought to be that attitude of adoration toward the Lord Jesus Christ, that expression of appreciation for Him, that all week long we spend kissing Jesus, expressing our love for Him. Not just praying and going down the prayer, that prayer list. That's well and good. Pray for one another. The Bible tells you to do that. Not even thanking God. that You ought to do that. But there's something that ought to always come before thanking God, before asking God, and that is worshiping God by keeping your focus on who He is. You say, well, preacher, I never heard anything like this. I'm not sure you're right. Well, let me give you a verse. Psalms 2, verse 12 says, Kiss the Son, lest he be angry. Who do you reckon that's talking about? If I had time, I'd preach on that tonight, if I had time and could. Kiss the Son. Why? Lest he be angry. God's not satisfied with us giving him the leftovers of our life. You see, the kiss speaks about adoration. It was an expression of homage. It was an expression of submission. In other words, the kiss is a recognition of who he is. And it's a reminder that we are to honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And I ask you, do you have a relationship like that with Christ? You could. You should. You know, and the more I think about all of this, the more I think about, there's more I want to say. I, I, I wish every, this is my desire for me and for you. I want every Christian to experience the fullness of Christ in every way so that he might be glorified. Have you ever read the prayers of Paul? Over and over and over again. Paul expresses basically that same thing. He says to those people, Christ is all and in all. And if I can paraphrase him, and I want you to get all he's got. That, that's, what, that's what I want for you, for this church, for my family, for me. That we'll not live a second-rate life living beneath our privileges as a child of God. I hope when this is over that each and every one of us 
I want us to know Christ intimately. I want us to love Christ wholeheartedly. I want us to obey Christ fully. I want us to worship Christ sincerely, trust Christ completely, serve Christ faithfully, and reflect Christ clearly to others, and thank Christ constantly, and then look for Christ expectantly. What if he was to come today? He could. And he will one day. Let me tell you, the very things I just mentioned, the things that I want for me and for you, all of this can become a reality whenever we truly kiss the sun. You, you, you see, here's the thing about worship. It is the springboard for everything else that we do spiritually. And let me tell you, without it, nothing is done well. Without us giving ourselves over to the worship of God, kissing the sun, as it were, expressing daily our love for who he is. You say, I don't know how to do that. Make a list of all of God's attributes and spend 30 minutes. Take one each day, spend 30 minutes thinking about each one of them. Exhaust every avenue of trying to understand all of them. And I'll tell you, when you get through, you'll feel just like A.W. Tozer. Can you imagine A.W. Tozer? A man with a vocabulary like he had, and he said, but... He said, I had no language. All I could do was lay there four hours, never speaking a word. And it was all that silent, private devotion going on between him and God based on who God is. Somebody says, boy, we need revival. Let me tell you, we don't need to schedule a revival. We don't need to have to bring in some hotshot revivalist. All we need to do is kiss Jesus. We'll spend our time in a relationship like that. We'll be revived beyond anything we ever imagined. Now, I know there's someone here today that you've never received Christ as your Savior. And all of this might sound like Greek to you. You, you think, boy, what have I got into? These people are a bunch of radical fanatics. and I don't know what to think about this. Let me remind you that Nobody can have the kind of life we've been talking about until first they have a relationship with Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. It might be you came here today so troubled, so troubled about something that you don't even want to talk about, and that's okay. It might be a trial. It might be a sin. I, I don't, it doesn't matter. Did you notice what Jesus said to this woman? He said, your sins have all been forgiven. Now go what? In peace. You can, however you came today, you can leave here in peace. If you will realize that you're a sinner, recognize Christ as your Lord and Savior, and repent and believe, as Jesus said, as the Bible tells us. Repent and believe. Just simple childlike faith. Trust Him. That's the starting place. That's the starting. Let me tell you, you don't have to be, you don't have to be some 
well-seasoned, mature saint of God that's been saved 30 or 40 years to kiss Jesus. Might be you just, in fact, most of the new converts spend more time kissing him than a lot of the old-timers. And if you've stopped kissing Jesus, you need to get it back on track today because regardless of how average that might be, it's not normal. Normal. You say, well, what is normal? Be ye filled with the Spirit. That's normal. And if we're not filled with the Spirit of God, we're not normal. We might be above average, but we're not normal. Kiss the Son. You don't have to make a promise to me. Just tell God, I'm sorry that I have failed to give you the praise for who you are. Lord, forgive me for so neglecting my relationship with you that as wonderful as you are, I've just been ignoring that. And with your help, I'm going to change. And if you're here today and not saved, I, I'm not just asking you, I'm begging you, whatever you do, don't you walk out that door without knowing that heaven is your home and Jesus is your Savior. Don't you do it. You can say, well, preacher, I've got some questions. Good. We've got some answers right here. And if you'll come, we'll take the Bible and, and show you how you can know you're a child of God. Would you do that? We're all going to stand together. The musicians and Tim's going to come and Brother Kenneth will be up here. Father in heaven, we do praise you for who you are. And Lord, as I've thought so often in these last couple of months, Lord, I don't, e I don't even know how to put it in, into words. And Lord, I, I, just, I just want you to know as, as much as I thank you for all of your many blessings, for all you've done for me, I want to praise you more for just because of who you are. Because everything we have grows out of who you are and without you we'd have nothing without you our sin debt would never be paid without you there would never be peace there would never be a real lasting joy so God help us today just knowing what we need to do isn't enough Lord we need you your spirit to convict us of our faults and our failures, to bring us to our knees, to drive us into our prayer closets, to make us be serious about kissing Jesus. But we beg it in His dear name. Amen. While we